Focal Point for Thursday, the 21st of August, 2008. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Oh, I'm happy the weather's changed, hasn't it? It suddenly got sunny and bright. I don't know where you are, Gihan, but over here it's cloudy and cold. We must have a front that crosses just halfway between us. That's right. Well, we last in our last podcast we were talking about Skype and voice over internet uh, telephone services, and you got a couple of follow-up items on that, Chris. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. A couple of days later I was uh, involved in a teleconference for work, and uh, it involves calling a tele conference number in Sydney and being on, on that line on a on the line to Sydney for about an hour and that's relatively expensive so I thought I'd give Skype out a go for the first time I'd not used Skype out before so I bought some credit and uh, and then I used that to dial uh, the tele seminar number or teleconference number and it was great it cost me only about a dollar to speak for about an hour uh, on this tele seminar a tele conference um, but there were some problems for the other two parties on the line. They um, they experienced some echo and some breakup of my voice signal. So yeah, the results were mixed. It was it was good. The the, the quality of the signal that I heard was fantastic, um, and it was very cheap. So it was all good for me. But for the other parties, it wasn't so good. So that was an an, an interesting experience and experiment. Mm, so it seems like it's the the, the technology is mature, but perhaps still not as as nice as we'd like it to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the other uh, follow-up on Skype was that uh, a few days after we recorded our last podcast, uh, a friend of mine, Mike, who's moving house, um, asked me about uh, these various naked lines, as they're sometimes called. So that's a telephone line to your house, but it doesn't have a landline um, associated with it, and so you don't get charged any telephone rental from uh, the big uh, telephone companies like Telstra. He was going to get it from IINet, one of our um, local ISPs, an Australian ISP. Uh, he just wanted to know what experiences I'd had. And I, I hadn't any, but I related our friend uh, Dr. Kathleen Franklin's experience that she was quite happy with her service. And uh, I also mentioned that it was probably worth him making sure he had a special uh, broadband modem that uh, had VoIP capabilities built in. So some modern modems uh, will let you give high priority to voice over IP traffic. So that if you are downloading something or using your um, um, internet connection for browsing whilst you're using it for VoIP, then the VoIP traffic gets high priority and the browsing and other traffic gets low priority and that maintains the quality of the of the voice over IP signal. Yeah, that's good because that kind of fixes that problem that we were talking about last time, Chris, where the internet's not really designed for voice traffic, but if you have one of these modems, if it gives voice traffic higher priority, um, then... From a human point of view, it's much better to have a clear voice signal than to have a um, very fast download. That's exactly right, yep. Yeah, good, good. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about something different, which is I I remember speaking to you a couple of weeks ago, Chris, and saying that I just found the world's worst website. You had indeed. I I followed uh, the URL that you gave me, and it was terrible. It is terrible, and it is, in fact, uh, an Australian government website. So you might say, oh, well, it's a government website, so it's going to be bad. But, in fact, this was... <laughs> we should have known, shouldn't we? Yeah, so this was worse than usual because, basically, I think this was 
nothing more really than a political stunt. It's the the new federal government's grocery watch website, which is supposed to give consumers around the country an idea of uh, a comparison of the price of a basket of groceries in various um, through various shops. So the the three that they looked at are Coles and Woolworths, which are, which are the two big brands, and then the independent retailers. Um, and the reason it's such a bad website is that the the, de- the design of the site's good, but in f- terms of functionality, it's terrible because it doesn't tell you what's in the basket of groceries. It doesn't tell you which shops are being measured, and um, the the catchment area for each each of the surveys is so big that it's virtually impossible for anyone to actually make any useful judgments as a result of looking at the website. So, for example, in Perth. Um, the whole per- the whole of the city of Perth is split into two areas, north of the river and south of the river, which basically splits more than a million people into just two little areas and says a basket of groceries at Coles will cost you $21.57 north of the river and um, at Woolies it might be $21.70. Um, but it's completely meaningless because there's there's no basket anywhere that would cost you that much because it's just an average, and um, it just it doesn't even tell you what's in the basket. So it's a completely meaningless website in terms of what it does. That's right. It's it's supposed to be what's called a shopping comparison website, um, but it just doesn't give you any useful information. It gives you just these averages over vast areas and over huge retail shopping chains that. Uh, um, come down to giving you no guidance as to where you should go and buy your groceries. Yes, but the the good thing about that is that it gave us a lead into the topic for this podcast, which is about shopping comparison and engines and useful ones. So we're going to look at some of the websites that you can use for doing comparison shopping on the Internet and some of the pros and cons and which ones we actually use and which ones we like. Yeah, so uh, grocery, grocerychoice.gov.au is, uh, is the really bad shopping comparison engine we've just been talking about. But um, there are a great many, and they've been around since the early days of the web. So so, um, essentially what they are is they they aggregate price information from a whole lot of retailers, online retailers. Generally, they don't get involved in the actual transaction. They just give you a pointer to websites where you can get uh, the products listed at a particular price. Um, Some of them are very general, that they just... uh, They give you prices about a wide range of products. Um, A good example of that is my favourite, which is frugal.com, F-R-O-O-G-L-E.com, which is a Google website, Uh, whereas others are very product-specific. So there's a... You might have seen during the Olympics telecast, there's been adverts for a website in Australia called iselect.com.au, which is a health insurance shopping comparison website. Um, so, yeah, some of them are very general and some of them are very specific in terms of the kinds of products they list. I think it's one of the interesting things about the development of the web, Chris, that I remember in the very early days of the web, people were saying, now we don't need agents anymore. We don't need, for example, a travel agent because people can go to their web and they can get all the information that a travel agent can by themselves. And, you know, for a while that was true. And then suddenly the web exploded and there's now so much information that the, the value of an agent has increased and the, it's come back that you that you need somebody to filter this information and help you compare and do reviews. And that's what these comparison shopping engines do. That's right. They've, they've changed the landscape, not just the online landscape, but also the landscape of bricks and mortar businesses. So uh, travel agents have had to sort of 
do more than just offer uh, a ticket buying service. They've had to give recommendations about uh, the kinds of places that you might be interested in going to and the sorts of things you can do when you get there as opposed to just buying tickets for you. Yeah, no, there's, I just want to pick up on a comment that you made, Chris, because you said most of these shopping comparison engines, they don't get involved in the transaction. So basically they're like a Google, like a free search engine, which allows you to compare different retailers, but they don't actually, uh, but the, the search engine itself doesn't make any money from the transaction. So how do they make their money? Yes, that's a good point, Gihan. The way that, that there are three, basically three different ways that they make their money. They can either um, charge the vendors who've listed their products on their website by every time you click on a listing on the shopping comparison engine, um, then the vendor gets charged a few cents and that then the uh, the, the browser gets sent to the particular vendor's website. So that's a pay-per-click model. Then there's just a pay-per-listing model where you pay to have your products listed on the comparison, the shopping comparison website, um, which is a bit like you know advertising in a newspaper. It's an advertising-based model. Uh, and finally, there's uh, websites like Frugal, which is um, Google's website, and they just put adverts around uh, the, their their AdSense web. AdSense, is it called? I've forgotten, Gihan, sorry. Mm, AdSense, AdSense, AdSense and AdWords. Yes. Yeah. AdWords, AdWords on the, uh, on the listings as well. So those are the three basic money-making um, uh, models, and, and they're very successful. Shopping comparison engines are really big business. They have turnover in the billions of dollars each year, and these websites change hands for tens of millions of dollars when they uh, get uh, bought and sold. Wow. Okay, so... The, the good news for us is as consumers, it doesn't cost us anything and we, we get to use this service which is backed by a viable, viable business model. So they're going to be around for a while and presumably because they're such a big business, the, um, they'll put a lot of work into making sure they're, they're effective. I guess there's something similar to this which, we've, uh, which I've, I've come across, which are review sites where they don't necessarily – um, so where a shopping comparison engine will say, if you want to buy a Philips DVD player, this model, it will give you a number of retailers which sell that. A shopping review site would say, if you're looking to buy a DVD player, here are some, here are some options and here are the pros and cons of each. That's right. So that's the, the step prior to uh, actually going and finding the best price is helping you to decide what, actually, what actual model you want. So those those review sites, like um, one of my favourites is epinions.com, um, they tend to focus on uh, getting customer reviews of different products, and then once you've decided which product you want, then you go and uh, uh, use one of the shopping comparison websites to find the best price for that particular product that you're interested in. However, Opinions is a bit different in that they do both. They uh, provide both ratings of products, and then once you've settled on a particular product, then you can go and uh, then Opinions also provides uh, price information as well. Right. So, in, in fact, as a consumer, we could actually make use of both of them, couldn't we? We could, if you're looking for something general, you'd go to a review site first to f- to choose a particular item that you're interested in, and then if that site doesn't provide the shopping comparison, you then go to a shopping comparison site to find the best the best price for it. Exactly right, yep. Um, in fact, I used one of those review sites when I was travelling to Europe last year and I was looking for a bed and breakfast or a, or a small hotel in Florence, and uh, one of the big travel sites is TripAdvisor. Uh, it's a US-based site, but um, it 
features properties worldwide. And um, like opinions, um, individual users, individual travelers could make comments and post reviews of places that they'd visited. And that's one of the reasons that we chose the place that we ended up going to. I guess the other thing we should compare with, Chris, is sites like, well, the, I mean, the obvious example that I can think of is eBay, where, again, you might have a product which is available from multiple different, from multiple vendors, and they're all selling it on an auction site like eBay. Yeah, again, so you've got uh, lots and lots of choices of people uh, retailing the same product, uh, and a place like eBay is a good place to start if you're if you're interested in getting a good price. But in the case of eBay, the difference between eBay and a shopping comparison engine is that um, eBay actually uh, eBay actually do the transaction themselves. So they process the transaction and then they contact the vendor saying it's being paid for. Could you please ship it? So there's that, that's a, a subtle difference. And the other thing is that a shopping, compar- shopping comparison engines also often include eBay listings. So they provide price comparison of not just all the vendors who have listed products for sale through eBay, but a whole lot of other retail outlets as well. Right, because I guess what they're saying is they're trying to get into your mind and say, look, if you're looking for the best price on the Internet, we've got all the options available to you here. That's, that's right, yep. Now, Chris, uh, I know that we talked about this on the podcast before, but some years ago you went into, you had your own website where you were, it was like a music exchange site. How does that fit into some of the things we talked about? It was a little bit like a shopping comparison engine, just focused on people who people who were interested in uh, music-related items. So people who had stuff to sell would come and list them on offloadonline.com, and then people who wanted to buy them would come and visit and search the listings on my website, offloadonline.com, and then they could compare prices and choose the one that was cheapest if there were multiple uh, um, for examples of that product for sale. So I guess it was like a a music-focused shopping comparison engine it could be thought of. Okay, and also it could also be thought of the way that you just described some of the shopping comparison engines using eBay. It could be that there would be a bigger music shopping comparison engine which would draw in results from Offload Online as well as from many other places. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know at that stage whether um, whether they were, whether, for example, Jam, which was the global electronic music marketplace. Well, they didn't because I would have had to have uploaded my listings to GEM. Um, and Frugal, the Google uh, shopping comparison engine, didn't have uh, any of the offload online listings uh, in there either. But yes, that could have been something that uh, um, I could have pursued to sort of give greater reach to the listings on offloadonline.com. So that leads on to something interesting, Chris, because you said you'd have to upload your listings to the to the shopping comparison engine. And I know that's one of the ways that these shopping engines work, but of course some of them also work just like Google goes around the Internet searching for web pages to put into its index. These shopping comparison engines also do the same thing, don't they? They have automated programs that go around looking for websites that are selling this product. That's right. So they're, they're the two ways. Either the vendors upload their um, inventories to the to the comparison engine, or uh, the comparison engine goes out and searches uh, the web for products to list on its website. Some some of the engines do one or the other of the two operations, and some do both. Frugal's an example of a website that does both. You can upload your listings uh, to the Frugal database, and uh, Frugal combines 
those um, that, those database listings with the ones that it's got from its uh, from the Google index itself that has been obtained by Google going out and searching the web. Remember, in the in the early days of the web, when shopping comparison engines were first starting out, I think there's there's one called My Simon, and I'm pretty sure that was one of the earliest. Is that right? It is. That's cor- that's correct. My yeah. Simon was one of the first. It's still around. I remember at that time there was some article I read where somebody was voicing some concern that these shopping comparison engines would destroy the economy, and the, the theory was that you'd have these shopping comparison engines, or let's say there's just the one. And each of the vendors, of course, because they're listed in this one, would want to have the, the lowest price. So they would write their own bit of software that would daily or hourly or almost all the time, constantly, be going to these websites, this shopping comparison websites, to see whether theirs was the lowest price. And if it wasn't, then they would automatically lower their price, which the shopping comparison engine would then pick up. Um, now, that works fine if there's only one vendor doing it, but if everyone's doing that and they've got automated software doing it, everyone's going to keep lowering their prices and almost instantly everything would become you know, almost free. <laughs> never now, happened, course, did it, Gihan, unfortunately? Never happened, never happened because I think, yeah, unfortunately for us as, <laughs> as consumers. Um, but, you know, it comes down to the fact that they have to make money. So there must be some limit to to the prices and... Um, I think one of the reasons that the comparison engines work is that not everybody will pick the cheapest product available. There may be other criteria for for making a purchase. And so it's quite okay to have different products at different prices and different vendors will get the business. That's right, yeah. I think that, that scenario that was painted early in the days of shopping comparison engines would only have driven out of business people who, vendors who are a bit stupid and would yes. permit their prices to go below cost. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and they just weren't thinking about the mind of the consumer, which is that cheapest is not always the best. That's right. Um, so let's talk about some of the, the pros and cons, Chris. So when you're looking at using a shopping comparison engine to buy stuff, I guess there's this Broadly, there's two things. So one is, how do you decide among the listings that are available at that engine? And the second is, how do you decide whether to buy online at all? Yeah, that's right. So one of the obvious advantages is that you get a really good overview of all the different retailers out there and the prices for which they're offering these products. Um, and so you've got a good way of finding prices, fairly ch- uh, fairly low prices for particular products. Um, but then you've got to decide, well, you know, this particular vendor who's selling the product cheapest, I've perhaps never heard of them, and uh, I've got to find out where they are. They might be located on, um, they might be a US-based company, and so I've got to figure in the cost of postage uh, and any um, import duties that might be involved in that. And then if something goes wrong, if this is the first time you've dealt with them, how are you going to uh, resolve any problems that might arise from using this vendor? Yeah, and I've found the same um, similar sort of things when I've been buying online that many of the vendors, they don't make it easy for you to contact them. So they're, they're set up as online retailers and I guess they can keep their prices low because they don't have the overheads of staff and inventory. But equally, they make it difficult for you to get in touch with the person. So if it, if it's, if you have a problem, it's difficult to deal with them. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had a, the, the opposite experience when I was dealing with Amazon.com recently because uh, it was my birthday a few weeks ago and I asked people to, if they wanted to give me gifts, to send me book vouchers. And um, many people did, including you, Chris, so thank I you did. for yours. Yes. 
uh, and yours was in fact a, an Amazon.com um, gift voucher. So I could use it online at Amazon.com, and I got a, a, a couple like that actually, and uh, I've been using them in order of the most generous downwards. So I'll get to yours eventually. That's right. <laughs> um, but I made an order through Amazon.com, and there was a problem with my with my credit card because um, I had to use partially the gift voucher and partially credit card, and um, they emailed me within a couple of hours and said, we know we found this problem. If you'd like to submit a new credit card, click here. And instead of taking me to the Amazon homepage, it took me specifically to the page that allowed me to enter a new credit card. And uh, they made the they made the transaction process very straightforward and very easy. And I guess they've invested millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in doing just that so that people are comfortable dealing with Amazon.com whereas other retailers just make it very difficult and um, just it's, it's hard to trust them and to believe that they're going to do the right thing if something goes wrong. Right, good. And uh, so on that point, Gihan, something that uh, many of the shopping comparison websites do is that they provide vendor ratings alongside uh, the vendors who are listed in their website. So uh, that gives you an idea of the experiences that other users of the shopping comparison have had when purchasing through the particular vendors who've listed with that uh, comparison website. So that's a good idea because, you know, often you'll come up with the lowest, the lowest priced vendor might be someone you've never heard of. But if, if it's got a, a good rating from various other users of the, the comparison engine, then you've got a, a greater confidence uh, in using them for the first time. Yeah, in fact, that comes back to something you talked about in a podcast a couple of months ago, Chris, that the whole idea of safety numbers, that you can, you can flock to the vendors that have a good rating, yeah. which, makes it, which makes it tough for new vendors. But from a consumer's point of view, if you just want the highest confidence, that's one of the guidelines that you can use to judge and to assess whether there's somebody that you're willing to deal with. Yeah. One of the problems that I've found with using shopping comparison engines is that sometimes the uh, the listings aren't up to date. So you'll come across a, a product that's uh, a good price and then you'll click on the link that will take you to the vendor's website and you find that either the product is no longer in stock or that the price is not the same as the price that was listed on on the um, on the shopping comparison website and that's often the case with eBay listings for example when eBay listings are included um, the ones that are auction based are only listed for usually seven days so there's that time lag between when they were listed on the comparison engine and uh, and when you actually go and visit them, the, the auction might have expired. So there is a problem. Uh, currently, there's still this problem of the freshness or the accuracy of the data that's in the, uh, the shopping comparison engine. Mm, and presumably that will improve over time. I guess it's like going to a Google search and sometimes you click on a link that Google shows you and the page isn't there or the page is out of date and... Uh, with something like Google, because it's because it's faster and faster and better and better, that happens less often nowadays. And I'm sure the shopping comparison engines will also get better over time. That's right, they will. For example, I know that um, in the case of the Frugal website, I think it's only for 30 days that they will hold a listing. So they automatically expire after about 30 days just to try and minimise the... Uh, just to give a, a maximum limit to how long, how out of date a, uh, a price information can be. Well, you mentioned Frugal, Chris, and that's one that you use. Are there any others that you use? Yeah, when it comes to just general shopping around, I'll use Frugal.com mainly. Um, and then 
recently I was looking, I came across bingle.com.au, which is an Australian car insurance uh, comparison website. And also I've been looking at that iselect.com.au that I mentioned earlier, which is based, uh, which is a health insurance comparison website. So they're the ones that I use mainly. Uh, how about you? Well, I guess a couple that I use frequently are ABE books. I think I've mentioned that before, the Advanced Book Exchange, which is a, in a way, it's not quite the same as the shopping comparison sites. It's actually a collection of second-hand booksellers around the world. If I, so if I'm searching for a book title, um, so was the, the one I eventually bought through Amazon was the book Skeptoid, which was um, oh, yeah. by Dr. Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com, who we've mentioned before. So you just search for the title and you see all the vendors around the world, um, all the second-hand booksellers who are listed with ABE books who have that available. That's one that I use quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's a good example of where I don't necessarily go for the lowest price because I might sometimes be looking at getting it quickly, which means that I'll only look at Australian vendors. Sometimes the postage is quite high from the US and uh, funnily from the UK is cheaper sometimes, so I'll get it that way. And mm-hmm. you know, there are other criteria apart from the price. And I guess the other one that I have used frequently is whatif.com, which is a, a accommodation site. So when I've traveled uh, around Australia mostly, I will generally book my accommodation through whatif, W-O-T-I-F.com, which again is doesn't necessarily go out and find all the hotel listings. I think the, the hotels themselves have to upload their listings to whatif. Um, and again, I don't necessarily choose the cheapest. I'm looking for somewhere with a, you know, like a one-bedroom apartment with um, with a gym or fitness center. So again, it's not necessarily the cheapest, but it'll be something that that meet, meets my criteria. And Gihan, do what if get involved in the transaction, or do they just provide you with a link to um, the actual accommodation provider? They they do get involved in the transaction. Okay, so, right. so they take a commission. I've noticed there's a number of hotel or accommodation sites that, that work the same way, Chris, that they generally will list the, the properties free um, and then take a transaction, sorry, take a fee per transaction. Right, yep. So I guess we should finish off. We've talked mostly about the consumer's um, point of view, but you had a couple of tips for somebody who wants to be, who's actually got products, who wants to be listed, and how do they get into these shopping comparison engines? Yeah, that's right. So it's really a great service for um, for consumers. But if you actually have products that you want to sell, having them listed in a shopping comparison engine is going to improve the chances that people find you online. Um, now, doing that can it depends on the shopping comparison engine that you choose, whether you have to pay per click on your listing or pay for each listing that you upload as to... Uh, as to you know how much it's going to cost you, but a, a simple way of of um, getting into comparison engines or some of them is to list your products in places like the Amazon Marketplace or to list them as buy it now um, auctions on eBay, because uh, a great deal of the shopping comparison engines include Amazon and eBay listings. So by virtue of the fact that your products are listed with Amazon Marketplace or with eBay, you'll end up in some of the shopping comparison engines like frugal.com. So yeah, that's probably uh, an easy way into making making sure that you've got listings in product comparison engines. Great. Well, I guess if we were to give people some tips to finish off with, um, one is if you're looking to buy groceries, don't use the grocery choice website. (laughs) 
Um, however, if you're looking to buy other products, I think it's worth, and, and, if, and if you've not used shopping comparison engines before, I think it's worth just having a go at them, just to see what they're like, even if you end up buying somewhere from a physical store, from a bricks-and-mortar store, um, or even if you plan to do that right from the start, it's worth just checking out what shopping comparison engines can do for you. Yeah, I think so, and it's We're always advised to shop around when we're hunting for products, and I think you should just include online shopping around by going to shopping comparison engines as part of that strategy. Excellent. So thanks, Chris. Another very interesting conversation. Indeed. Thank you too, Gihan. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Speak to you then. Hope the weather gets better in your side of Perth. (laughs) Me too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.